Hey there, you're listening to Coffee and Books. I am your host, Scott. This is part two of the Jefferson and Madison book review. Um, a quick side note before we begin, a couple things. One, I've started a Patreon page. If you'd like to support me, please do. The link will be in the description below. Um, two, if you haven't already listened to the first half of my review, I did give the book a one star. However, I do think it is worth reading. Um, I did finish the book today after a speed reading marathon, and I've decided to amend it to two stars out of five. Now, having said all that, you're going to be lost if you listen to the start of this episode and do not listen to that episode. So please be sure to listen to my description of the Jefferson and Madison book. All right, so part two, let's begin. All right, I've taken some notes now, so now we're going to touch on where we left off. Where we left off before was the halfway point. I will say the reason why I amended my rating to two stars is that, in particular, many of the events that I was most interested in learning about happened in the second half of the book. And as a result, I felt like I was more impressed and my rating changed. Um, Now, let's begin. Where we left off was that Aaron Burr was the vice president under Thomas Jefferson. Aaron Burr would eventually be tried for treason, as he was a, or the best way to explain this is that Aaron Burr was, tried to create a Western empire out of Spain, the Western states, and Mexico. He committed treason, but was captured in Mississippi. He was found not guilty of treason, eventually. So, there's a lot to unpack here. What exactly happened, we still do not know to this day, but in order to explain everything, Burr was the one who insisted upon expanding westward, unlike many of his fellow American soldiers and compatriots and many of the politicians in the White House. People like Jefferson and Madison agreed with expanding westward. The difference was that Aaron Burr tried to do it on his own, and as a result of this, without the approval of the United States and the approval of the president, who was Thomas Jefferson at the time, he'd be seen as trying to establish a dictatorship. As a result, When he was captured and seen as not responsible for the United States' actions and aggressiveness towards Mexico and Spanish Empire, he was captured in, like I said, Mississippi, and he was put on trial by Jefferson for treason. He was found not guilty, and as a result of this, though, his political career was over and he had to flee the country. Eventually, he would be welcomed back into the United States by Madison, who pardoned, or rather, did not pursue any charges against Burr, and as a result, Burr was able to return to practicing law in the United States, but his political career was entirely over. So, a lot to unpack there. I'm sure I could read a book in itself on just that one story alone, but that was one of my favorites um, so far. Um, Okay, number two. British sunk a U.S. ship off the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia in 1806. This would lead to an embargo on trade. However, illegal trade was still happening, rendering Washington ineffective. So, this is before the War of 1812, but after the Revolutionary War. The United States and Britain had a very rocky relationship still. Um, Many of the reasons are the British still impressed soldiers who were American citizens and were not considered a sovereign nation to the British, and as a result... Many people were unfairly captured by the British soldiers at sea and in return had to serve the British Empire. Another reason is that the British did not recognize formally the United States, even though it was a colony of theirs and even though there's been peace, it was not formally recognized in the way we see their relationship today. 
and most importantly, the aggressive actions of other countries that they controlled, such as Canada, affected the U.S. relationship. Um, but essentially, in 1806, one of the early aggressions, or early signs of the war that was to come, was that the British sunk a ship off of the a U.S. ship off Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. And as a result of this, there was much debate about what should be done. Should the U.S. go to war? Should we uh, try to fight against the British in some way? Should we not do anything? Uh, there was men much debate amongst all U.S. politicians. What was came up with was an embargo or a block in trade against the British Empire. However, there were many pro-French and pro-British factions in the United States, and as a result, trade continued with the British, just illegally, and not taxed. And as a result of this, this only weakened the U.S. resolve, and was a major mistake in the campaign of both Madison and Jefferson, whose idea was the embargo. The, United, or the European powers still gave second thoughts to the United States, Another aspect I'd like to explore in this book is that the United States was not seen as the military giant that it was seen as in the future, specifically in the 20th century. Um, it is seen as, at this time in its early colonial history, as a second-rate power, mainly because it's just a loose collection of states that had just somehow won a war against Great Britain, and they did not really... European powers did not really care about what the United States did. And as a result, the United States at this time period was seen as second rate and not really that important in the future of politics. Um, okay, Haiti was treated poorly because it was a black revolution. Remember how I said earlier about how there were pro-French and there were pro-British elements in the United States government. Jefferson is a perfect example of a pro-French uh, person. And... Although he supported the French, he was not very supportive of Napoleon. However, there was a very, very uh, big conflict of interest in the U.S. government, uh, particularly when it came to the Haitian Revolution. Haiti, for those of you who don't know, was colonized by the French and was a huge slave plantation, or essentially a colonial territory that was used for slavery by the French. As a result of this, the French, when Haiti rebelled, had given the U.S. sort of a conflict of interest. Should the U.S. support the white colonial slave masters, or should it support the revolutionaries? Many people identified with the revolutionaries as similar to the Americans, who were fighting their own you know, government that was oppressing them at the time. However, the one major difference between Haiti and the United States Revolution is that the Haiti rebellions... Uh, that occurred, or what should I say, when the island rebelled, uh, places like in St. Domingo, um, it was primarily Africans who were rebelling against white slave masters. And as a result, this made the U.S. really uncomfortable at the time, primarily because the United States was going through its own growing pains, including its own original sin, slavery. As a result, many of the white colonial uh, slave masters fled the revolution and entered and became U.S. citizens and took up slavery just in the south of the United States. The United States chose to support, instead of revolutionaries, the French, with Napoleon being in power, and eventually uh, decided that it would abandon its hopes of using Haiti. Haiti was seen as a possibility, however, of using that as a base to 
um, recolonize Africans from the United States. But eventually this idea was abandoned and it would take many, many, many years later before the issue of slavery was approached in the United States. Conspiracies eventually happened by the Federalist Party that Jefferson was still controlling Madison. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, Jefferson and Madison were pretty much political besties. They were friends. Their administrations happened after one another. They are both from Virginia, and they both concurred with a political dynasty that the Old Dominion, a.k.a. Virginia, was controlling the presidential power. Um, as a result of this, the Federalist Party, or the other party in politics at the U.S. at the time, considered a massive conspiracy that Jefferson was still controlling the shots, even though he was no longer considered the President of the United States. When Jefferson retired from politics after his presidential campaign, he still, in effect, had political opinion and support. However, um, him and Madison were close friends and still wrote to each other letters and issued proclamations to one another and advice to one another about major issues of the day. This did not mean that Jefferson was in charge or that he actually called the shots or was the brains behind the operation. But this did not stop the newspapers from suggesting this. And as a result, like I said, conspiracy theories abounded galore and the Madison administration was seen as a puppet to the Jefferson administration, even though Madison was his own unique political um, political administration. The West Florida Republic foreshadowed the Republic of Texas, including the Lone Star Flag. The difference between the two many republics was Mexican independence from Spain. So, as most of you may not be familiar with the United States history, um, eventually Texas would grow to become its own mini-republic and break away from the United States and Mexico and sort of form a quasi-nation. West Florida Republic was a similar uh, to Texas uh, Republic that was founded. Um, The major difference, as I just stated, was the difference was that Mexican independence came from Spain. So, whereas before, or I should say after, during the Texas Revolution, um, when Texas went to war against Spain, one was granted independence by Spain and one was not. And as a result, West Florida Republic, eventually all of the state of Florida was absorbed into the United States Empire um, or colonial territory at the time. Uh, but it was Texas that would eventually cause a war between the U.S. and Mexico. All right. Or I should say quasi-war. All righty. Next we have the Andrew Jackson uh, president, uh, who was reluctant to annex Texas because he did not want to go to war with Mexico. The annexation did not happen until 1845. In 1836, Jackson was the first U.S.-born candidate from Tennessee, by the way, who became a first ever U.S.-born president of the United States. All other candidates before him were not U.S.-born, surprisingly. This is uh, something that I did not even think about and did not know or discuss in U.S. history classes. Uh, But because Jackson, who was eventually seen as a war hero of 1812 and the Battle of New Orleans, He would eventually be given uh, the power to become president of the United States based on his heroic abilities from before. 
And as a result, one of the major instances, and how this relates to Jefferson and Madison, is that Andrew Jackson, the president, did not, like I said, want to start a war with Mexico and was reluctant to uh, annex the territory of Texas. Madison did not wish to wait and annexed the Spanish territory of Florida. So, again, we go back to the West Florida Territory and what happened with Florida overall. Like I said, the major difference between Madison and Jackson as presidential um, presidential uh, leaders is that Andrew Jackson, although he was considered a war hawk similar to Madison, Jackson refused to go to war with Mexico and thereby annexing Texas, whereas Madison just did not care. He just said, Florida is ours now. We annexed it. Um, Baton Rouge is part of West Florida. To bring down Spanish colonial rule, a band of American rebels attacked the garrison at Baton Rouge. A declaration was made to make West Florida part of the USA by saying Spain was in turmoil and it is the USA who should restore its rule. This is pretty much how the United States would gain political territory and land grabs by expanding westward. A situation was developed, you know, in terms of how it could be brought to the west to the rest of the republic in a way that could be seen as we had to expand into this territory, we had to bring law and order back in or we had to fight the the native americans because they were killing us or we had to do something. This is a perfect example of how the US used their administration to fight against the Spanish colonial possessions. Baton Rouge, like I said, was part of what is now Louisiana, but then was considered West Florida. To bring down the Spanish colonial rule, Americans were living inside of Baton Rouge and formed a little garrison or militia. This garrison attacked Baton Rouge because there were not many Spanish soldiers stationed there anymore. Part of the decline of the Spanish Empire was that there were less and less... uh, of the Spanish soldiers that could potentially hold colonial possessions. As a result of this, the U.S. declared that West Florida would be part of the United States because, and I quote, the turmoil from the Spanish Empire was so great that the U.S. had to intervene. And as a result of their intervention, the U.S. was able to restore what we know as law and order but it was eventually just seen as a land grab against a failing colonial empire. All right. Madison used the pretext of Louisiana Purchase to annex this territory. Of course, one thing that we do know that was done legally was that the territory of Louisiana, which was contested by the French and Spanish, when the French sold the territory to the United States, the U.S. used this territory as a way to expand westward. This was done, like I said, legally under Jefferson. However, since the Spain and French did not have exactly clear political divides on their boundaries and their land, it was very easy for Madison to use this as justification for invading what would eventually be Florida. All right. Tsar Alexander I of Russia offered to mediate between the British and the U.S. while at war. Eventually, the U.S. and Great Britain would go to war. Eventually, this is called the War of 1812. The Tsar Alexander I of Russia, I thought this was fascinating, actually treated the U.S. as an equal 
and said, well, let's work out the difference between your countries. Um, this, unfortunately, did not result in peace. One major difference between Madison and Jefferson is the approach to government. Madison packs the tax, a tax increase. This was a step away from the mind, mindset, minimalist approach of Jefferson applied to federal government. Jefferson is often quoted as someone who did not like to increase taxes, whereas Madison did pass tax increases. But this just shows the major difference between the two presidents. Madison was ever-growing, ever-changing, and evolving his political opinions. And as a result, he changed when he needed to. But it was Jefferson who sort of was stubborn and seen as stuck in his ways. But Jefferson did believe in a fairly hands-off approach by the federal government and did not believe that taxes should be increased. But when Madison needed to the most during the wars of 1812, he decided to pass a tax increase so he could help fund the army and defend the republic. Uh, Madison endorsed conscription during the War of 1812. Uh, fun fact, that meant that conscription is involuntary service. You were drafted. All right, August 1814, Admiral Cockburn was the British admiral who was responsible for the destruction of Washington, D.C. He returned from Europe after the abdication of Napoleon, which freed more British to fight in the USA. Napoleon, who would eventually re-come to power, uh, during his first exile, uh, the Admiral Cockburn was able to be transferred from the European theater of war to the U.S. theater of war. Since the United States was at war of Great Britain, even though Great Britain was fighting its own wars, um, the U.S. and Great Britain were seen as a minor political theater of war. As a result, when Napoleon was considered exiled, the British were free to send more soldiers to defend their territories, such as in the Bahamas, such as in Quebec and Canada, and eventually this would lead to the destruction of Washington, D.C., which is seen as a little-known fact um, by U.S. history. One thing I always found fascinating about the War of 1812 is that the British destroyed the White House, they destroyed the Library of Congress, and that they destroyed many uh, federal property buildings. But, like I said, the person we can say was responsible for this was Admiral Cockburn. Madison's wife, Dolly, had famously taken down a portrait from the White House of George Washington and refused to give it to the British. A State Department clerk had taken care to remove the original federal constitution for safekeeping. These are some of the only few things that managed to survive the initial destruction of these buildings. Secession was, uh, secession was first mentioned by the northern states at the 1814 Hartford Convention. It was proposed that the USA go back to the original 13 colonies and forget the South and West territories and states. This did not happen. One thing about secession is that it was eventually brought up in history during the U.S. Civil War. What I thought was most fascinating about this topic was that secession was actually first proposed by the northern states and not the southern states. It was proposed, as I said, during the Hartford Convention that the U.S. go back to the original 13 colonies and that the South and West Territories should form their own independent empire or republic. As I said, this did not happen. During the battle and defense of the city of New Orleans, future President Andrew Jackson promised anyone in jail freedom if they were willing to join the militia. He also had friendly Indians and African Americans in his army. One thing that has blown, blown me away about Andrew Jackson 
is that although he is most well known for the Trail of Tears in the United States and his policies of aggressive westward expansion, it was actually during this War of 1812 that he promised freedom to slaves and people who were of color if they were to join the U.S. in defending the city of New Orleans. Uh, although this, the territory surrounding it, the Louisiana Territory, is most well known for slavery at this time, he did promise and upheld his promise that many people in the territory, such as people who were seen as second-class citizens, were given the choice of if they joined the army, they could have their freedoms. Um, eventually, we'll go into later, when after the war was over, how he refused to let the power go. Okay, anyone who fought the British was a friend. Pirates such as John Lafayette worked with the U.S. Um, so the U.S., although not considered desperate at this time, was fighting a war against the British Empire. And as I said, the British were increasingly becoming more aggressive towards the United States and did succeed in destroying Washington, D.C. So as a result, the U.S. employed other means and tactics to get the British to be weakened. Some of these included working with notorious pirates. The peace treaty was signed soon after the Battle of New Orleans. However, Jackson refused to lift martial law for a time as he saw plots brewing everywhere. Unfortunately, one of the darker sides of Andrew Jackson's history is that while he, was, while he did manage to help be the hero of New Orleans and save it from falling into British hands, um, he did, unfortunately, come across as unwilling to let go of martial law or power of this territory. Jackson's, uh, the best way to say it is that Jackson refused to believe that the war was necessarily complete. You know, although a peace treaty was signed, and he knew this rationally, he did think that many people who were still in the territory were out to get him, plots were brewing, that there was the potential that the territory could still fall into hands. And he pretty much politically jailed, well, I shouldn't say politically, he pretty much flat out jailed people who he did not like. So if someone spoke against him, a judge or whoever, he would actually be the one who would say, you know, take them to jail. You know, this was not a good look for him, especially when he decided to run for president. All right. In the end of the war, Madison failed to secure free trade, acknowledgement on the high seas, and the end of impressment. Impressment ended when France and England stopped going to war with battle, uh, or going to war against each other with the Battle of Waterloo by Napoleon. When Napoleon or Napoleonic France, ended with the destruction of Napoleon's army at the Battle of Waterloo, the aggressive stance the United States and England had towards each other ended. This is because the England did not need the U.S. soldiers to fight against the French Empire. And as a result, even though it had nothing to do with the, you know, James Madison, it was during his presidency that impressment ended. And it was not because of his diplomatic reasoning or skills, it was not because they had won the war against the British necessarily. It was because, well, France was no longer fighting against the English, so why should the French need to impress people into their service? Jefferson died on July 4th, the same day as the second president, U.S. President Adams died. He left, had an enormous amount of debt. 
towards the end of the life, after Madison eventually would transfer power over to Monroe, and then Monroe to eventually Jackson, we see a very strange time in the U.S. politics. Jefferson died the same day as Adams did, a weird coincidence in history. Um, As a result, we are given the prospect of Madison, who is one of the last living people at this time of the author and one of the original people who was involved in the founding of the United States. Madison would live until 1836, and it was during this time that he sought out Jefferson's future. Um, He helped create and write notes preserving the perspective of Jefferson. Um, However, he found it very difficult to help Jefferson's estate, which was an enormous amount of debt. Um, U.S. presidents at this time were not given a salary after their conclusion of being the U.S. president. And as a result, Jefferson had racked up an enormous amount of debt after retiring. This debt had to be cleared. um, And although he did work on such projects such as the founding of the University of Virginia, um, it was Madison who would eventually cultivate the estate that would become Jefferson's memorial and eventually his tombstone, which is very famous and you can see it today. Um, But uh, unfortunately for Madison, Madison would go through a similar crisis where he also went through um, his money thanks to a stepson who um, was a spendthrift and spent carelessly his money. And as a result, we were seen, and eventually closer to the Civil War, we were eventually seen that Jefferson's estate and Madison's estate kind of fell into disrepair. And it was uh, up to future historians and their grandchildren and their family's descendants to this day that still try to preserve what is Jefferson and Madison's relationship. As I said, we're very fortunate that Madison did live a little bit longer than Jefferson, and as a result was able to showcase a little bit more of their legacy and their history and their partnership that endured for many, many, many years, uh, almost, uh, almost 50 years to be exact. And we are seeing this friendship which formed and developed over time and how it affected the United States history. Um, like I said, everything from the rise of the George Washington to the eventual conclusion of the War of 1812, and eventually, not just this, but eventually what would eventually become the the Missouri Compromise, is all given through the Virginian dynasty of U.S. presidents, which would entail Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. It was Jackson who broke the chain, and it was Jackson who would eventually lead the U.S. down a different path. And that is how we get into the mid-1800s. As a result, that is the conclusion of the Madison and Jefferson book, and that is everything that has been going on with me, and that is why that's a lot of information. So thank you for listening again to my podcast. Um, Again, I want to share with you my email address. It is scottbernstein16 at yahoo.com. If you wish to share any information with me, what books I should read, Please and thank you. If you like this podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. And most importantly, if you do want to support me, my Patreon link will be listed below. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking about other books in the future with you. Thank you.